The following is a hoop bowl presentation. All right, yo, 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 welcome to another edition of NBA Today Hoop Ball Presentation. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on at Corbin NBA. I got my good friend, co-host, I'm, I'm the co-host of his podcast, Duncan Dynasty, Garrett Bougay on. We're going to talk some New Orleans Pelicans do an off-season preview. But first, I do got to do some housekeeping notes concerning, of course, the Hoop Ball presentation that I referred to. First off, you can find Hoop Ball on Twitter at HoopBallTweets, online Hoop-Ball.com. But I, I keep referring to HoopBall about their podcast and uh, uh, yours truly being part of that. But we got some big news coming up. This Monday, I'm recording this right now on the 7th of November, HoopBall's entire portfolio of goodies for the 2020-2021 season is coming out. That's the draft guide, a future access pass to the Brewski 150, our brand new fantasy pass, a DFS pass, wager pass, and HoopBall's 360 membership plans. They're all coming out Monday. So I'm going to give you a little bit more on this. Y'all know what the Draft Guide and Brewski 150 are, but if you don't, the Draft Guide is the best NBA fantasy draft resource on the planet, and the Brewski 150 is the single best ranked list every year for a decade now. But HoopBall's new subscriptions are going to revolutionize how you play fantasy, bet, and watch the NBA. The Fantasy Pass has the Draft Guide, Brewski's 150, and all of our in-season tools in it. The DFS Pass has lineups and Discord chats, and the Wager Pass has winners from the best young handicappers in the industry. You're going to have your mind blown at an extraordinary low monthly rate. So, to find out all this info, and to get it at a slower pace than how I just rambled it off to you, make sure to follow Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter, at Hoopball Fantasy, for updates, or just head to hoop-ball.com and sign up for the email list to make sure that you get alerted when it's out. Again, that is the Draft Guide, the Brewski 150, Fantasy Pass, DFS Pass, Wager Pass, and the Hoopball 360 membership plans. All available. Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter and hoop-ball.com. So check that out. But I got to introduce my friend Garrett. Garrett, how's it going? Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, it's it's going pretty great. Uh, I know, uh, you know, the, the two of us have, have uh, talked a little politics uh, on our own free time and uh, <laughs> with some pretty great news so i so i'm in a, a fantastic mood to be honest oh, oh yes yes i mean uh, unabashedly proud unabashedly happy right now um i was telling you before i have a little bit of a toothache toothache that came on and honestly i'm so jacked up and excited i i, I i'm just i'm pumped it's good it's good and it it, it makes this preview in, in, a, in a much lighter note and a much uh a much better way, you know, kind of going into uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. But I'm glad that we're both in a good mood to do so. And let's kind of hop on into it. Um, New Orleans Pelicans, this year they finished 30-42, and 42, which was good for 13th in the Western Conference. Uh, Alvin Gentry uh, went, thir- went the whole season before being relieved at the end of the year. Uh, the Pelicans were 17th in offensive rating, 19th in defensive rating, and... I mean, I'm going to throw it to you, Garrett. As far as the highlights and lowlights, I think one big highlight was obviously before the season started, finishing with the number one pick overall in the draft. And then I would say, although it was bittersweet in trading Anthony Davis, the hall of the thing of getting in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and some first-round picks, what was more than a suitable kind of, um, uh, I, I don't even know the word, for a return for that. And then to see Brandon Ingram flourish uh, throughout the year, finish with the most improved player award, uh, and then to see Zion make his electric debut. Those are a few of the positive notes that I saw 
um, from New Orleans. But, but what did you see as highlights from them this year? Yeah, I mean, you, you basically mentioned what I had down in my notes and Brandon Ingram winning most improved player, you know, improving drastically from the free throw line, going from 67.7% up to 85.1, improving the, the three-point percentage from 33% to 40%, and also, you know, three-pointers accounted for 32% of his total shot attempts after the previous season being just 11%. Wow. So, you know, going into that, and, and as you said, after drafting Zion Williamson, there was a question mark about whether Zion and Brandon Ingram would fit on the offensive end. But after the season that uh, that Ingram had, that's really no longer a question. And I think that's why New Orleans and, and general manager David Griffin are going to, you know, just uh, undoubtedly give Ingram that uh, max extension. And uh, or that that max contract as a restricted free agent. And then, you know, Zion's 19 games when he came back prior to the lockdown were absolutely scintillating. You mentioned the the game against San Antonio where he was drilling a bunch of threes. But, uh, you know, his ability to attack the basket, 87 percent of his shots came at the rim. And uh, he was also in the 94th percentile for his position in shooting fouls drawn. So, you know, those two guys uh, really developed into that one-two punch that you could see propelling this Pelicans team for the next decade. Oh, yes. I mean, you definitely see the building blocks between them. Like you said, uh, even running the numbers, Brandon Ingram was just uh, amazing in night and day how, how good of a shooter he was and how much more of one he was this past year. And early in the year, you know, our offense in general in New Orleans was pretty solid overall. Uh, they finished just over the league average in offensive efficiency. And, you know, they played at a very fast pace. They used a lot of ball movement. Um, in fact, they were top five in pace in passes per game and in assists per game uh, this past year. And they had a lot of reliance on their outside shooting uh, before Zion came to really force defense to collapse. But because they did such a good job generating good outside shots, they were still able to can them at an efficient rate. And so um, a lot of that, like you said, was, was on Brandon Ingram being able to just take and make shots from three and also off the dribble. But also, you know, J.J. Redick, his ability to run off screens, um, Ingram on one-on-one situations. And then their offense just became much more dynamic when Williamson returned from that knee injury and gave them a, a rim-running presence that could really just score for cuts and lobs and offensive rebounds. And I think, you said mentioning Zion, his, his ability to run the floor – Allowing New Orleans to put pressure on the defense early in the shot clock, um, forcing a lot of mismatches on full speed transition post-ups. And we saw a lot of that with Zion, even in the, in the first game against San Antonio, but later just kind of going down, uh, pinning a guard under or pinning a, a smaller player and then just going to work. And that that was big for them. Um, uh, defensively, you know, the, the, the Pelicans in the bottom half in defense efficiency, um, they tried to do it from what I saw more of a switch-heavy scheme, but, like, because they didn't really have – uh, a lot of guys who were, let's just say, able to do that, they either had rookies who were kind of adjusting or veterans who were still getting used to said rookies. It, it just didn't work out too well. And I guess I'm bringing that low light to kind of go into the lowlights for the Pelicans. Uh, I bring up their defense. I would bring up their injuries. I think that's a, a, obviously a huge one. And then I also thought that low light was letting go to Alvin Gentry because while I guess you could have expected that he could have done more for the Pelicans overall – I look at this year, and I I don't see how all of it can be laid at the feet of Alvin. But what did you see, Garrett, as far as uh, lowlights for the Pelicans? Yeah, I mean, the 
their play in Orlando in the bubble was was uh, pretty porous, uh, especially Zion. You know, he had that great, as I mentioned, that great stretch, that 19-game stretch uh, prior to the shutdown. But in Orlando, he was uh, he was his stats were down across the board in terms of his points per shot attempt. It was down from 123.9 to 115. Uh, his uh, conversion at the rim went from 63% down to 58%. He uh, was drawing fewer fouls. His offensive rebounding rate went down from 10% down to 8.3%. So Zion just was not the same player in the bubble. And the Pelicans as a team were not nearly as effective. You know, going into it, they were talked about as one of the favorites to to get into, at least get into that play-in game. And it ended up being that they weren't particularly close. Uh, and then, uh, and, you know, another low light I would say would be you know, David Griffin, of course, made that draft day trade going from number four and, and getting picks eight, 17, and then another early second. Uh, you know, just in terms of that trade value, that is that is great value, um, mm-hmm. you know, what he got from Atlanta. But at the same time, you know, the value only materializes if you nail those picks. And we did not see much from Jackson Hayes in terms of playing time. Uh, and uh, we we did not see much from Nikhil Alexander Walker. Their pick at 17, he had one of the worst rookie uh, years that uh, that I have seen. I mean, he was he was a 17 in the 17th percentile for his position in points per shot attempt, the 11th percentile in turnover percentage, oh my gosh. 8th percentile in rim conversions, 16th percentile in the mid range, and overall he shot just 39.1 percent from the two-point range. So he just was absolutely terrible. A guy that I was actually pretty excited about. And of course, you know, we've seen we've seen young point guards struggle and then develop into good players, but that was certainly not promising and and you know, the value that you would expect out of picks 8 and 17 in a in a decent draft would hopefully produce better results than what they got out of those guys and uh, they're really going to need those two guys in particular to step up and and make a difference if this team wants to go the places that uh, you know and achieve the goals that that they that are hoping for and you're right a lot of that's going to lie at the feet of these young guys and i think with that in mind we could kind of go transition into what the front office did david griffin in particular bringing in stan van gundy as the coach to kind of help along with that um on the leadership front and i i guess that's just a great transition i'm a say it's a great transition because I did it, but um, that's going to lead us to the coaching staff in front office. Really, you know, you have Stan Van Gundy in, a, a very successful coach, maybe not as good a general manager to exec, but fortunately doesn't worry about that here in New Orleans. Uh, I thought it was an interesting mix between him and all these younger guys because I thought he'd be better on a veteran team, but I guess he is the type of coach that kind of fits where I guess New Orleans is going, where he can help with the development even though they're more of a win-now team, or, or I guess that is the understanding I'm, I guess I see from the moves and the coaching hire um, from the front office. So, like, I, I, I guess I give you a more complicated question here, Garrett, but what are your thoughts on the coaching staff in the front office? And then, like, I, you know, we're going to save that for a little bit later. Let's go into the just coaching staff in the front office, and, like, we already mentioned David Griffin and touched on what he's done, but, like, Stan Van Gundy to the Pelicans. What what do you feel about all that? Yeah, you know, the, there was a lot of talk, what you just said, about the idea that that, that Van Gundy was, is kind of a win-now coach. But he's only 59. You know, this isn't like the Cavs hiring uh, John Beeline, who was I mean, <laughs> like 66 or 67 at the time that he was hired. Like, you could see 
Stan Van Gundy is the head coach of the Pelicans for the next decade. Like, that's very plausible. Um, and, you know, when I look at Van Gundy, he, to me, is he's like a B-plus level coach. I think he's solid on both ends of the floor. On the offensive end, he knows how to utilize his talent to get the most out of the situation. Of course, when he was in Orlando and his best player was Dwight Howard, he, he ran a four-out sort of post-up offense focusing on Dwight, and that worked really well, got them to an NBA Finals in 2009. And then, of course, in his time with Detroit, he uh, prioritized the pick and roll with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, and, and they made a couple of playoff appearances, had a had a decent stretch, and and perhaps outperformed their talent at times. So on the offensive end, I think Van Gundy uh, is uh, is versatile. He doesn't have uh, like a set system. I think he's going to come in and and recognize what his talent is and and try to uh, mold the system around the likes of of Zion and, and Brandon Ingram. And then defensively, you know, his teams are going to be fundamentally sound. They're, they're going to be improved in terms of their transition defense. You mentioned, of course, the, the former coach now in, in Alvin Gentry. That was, I think, one of his that is one of his weaknesses as a head coach is he he's never really got his teams to really commit on the defensive end in the half court or in transition. And watching the Pelicans last year, that was the the, just from the eye test perspective, that was the thing that you you immediately recognized was, you know, this team is not consistently getting back. They're not putting up this great uh, in defensive intensity that you would hope to see from a team that, that frankly has a lot of defensive talent. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I agree with your points. I figured that with Stan, and I didn't even think about this as Detroit, but him making the most of the talent, you're right, without making massive overhauls and massive changes, being someone who, I mean, we talked about how he kind of revolutionized uh, building on Dwight Howard post-ups and three-point shooting, you know, a decade plus before. And also defensively, I, I was actually reading about this a while back, um, just some random reading in this uh, pro basketball prospectus book from like 2010, and they were saying that they noticed that Stan Van Gundy was forcing defense, uh, forcing opposing offenses to take long contested mid-rangers while prioritizing three-pointers and post-ups on their end. So, uh, yeah, you bring up great points as far as Stan Van Gundy's willingness to adjust to the personnel at hand. But, yeah, we got to talk about the players because you're right. A lot of this is going to fall on them. You just mentioned uh, defensive laps on that end. But, like, let's kind of talk about the players under contract. Use that as a way to get in. we got to start with – I think he's the big – I don't think it's an understatement, Garrett, but correct me if you, if you think it is. The biggest player – for the Pelicans offseason, whether he stays or goes. And I think that's Drew Holiday. Um, Drew Holiday's still under contract in the player option after this next season. 30 years old, 26 mil. Had a really solid year, but uh, news has come out that he is uh, uh, available in trades after, for most of the season, New Orleans was making him untouchable. You heard David Griffin say that he could be like an MVP candidate or a top five player in uh, some kind of vague uh, encouraging way to promote his player. But basically, it did not seem that Drew Holiday wanted to leave. It didn't seem like the Pelicans wanted to trade him. And now it does seem the Pelicans are at least willing to trade Drew Holiday. So let's talk about him in general. Um, what do you think about him and, and, and whether he could or could not move? And if not, or if so, you still think he can have a spot on this team, right? I mean, yeah, he, he's obviously a, a fantastic player, but he is 30 years of age. And you talk about the likes of Ingram, who I believe is 23, and Zion younger than that. You know, he's not on the same timeline as those guys. And and frankly, this team should be trying to build up to be a championship in a couple of years when when Zion and, and Ingram are hitting their mid-20s. 
so, you know, Drew Holiday is not probably going to be on this roster uh, beyond this season, even if they don't trade him. So they might as well, in, in my opinion, uh, get some assets for him and continue to to uh, build for a, a very bright future in my mind. But yeah, that was the other thing, you know, going back to Stan Van Gundy, I don't think necessarily has to be this win now coach because mm-hmm. your other messaging is we're trading one of our better players in the hallway <laughs> or at least we're at least listening. So that, that to me indicates a team that's looking towards the future and, and realizes that holiday could net them some assets that would, that would make that future a little more bright. You're right. And Andrew Holiday comes in as a solid three-point shooter, a great defender, someone who is a, a, a perfect combo guard. I know we're going to have plenty of time about this in a future episode, but like where he could fit. Uh, I know I've thought about Brooklyn for sure as their third guy, that third star. I think he's like a quintessential third star. Someone who could even be like a, a great second uh, a piece to a team that's uh, playing for championship contention. But yeah, you're right. He's in, in the prime of his career still, I would say. And that is a great place for him to go. I mean, that would be a great opportunity for him to go. There's many other, uh, in fact, you had mentioned one. There's many other places that he would fit in. I mean, there's no less than half a dozen teams who would want a Drew Holiday on their squad. Yeah, uh, John Hollinger actually had a piece on The Athletic where he proposed a trade that I that I really liked. I, I would make a, a slight uh, uh, adjustment to it, but essentially it was between the the Pelicans and the Warriors, and the Pelicans would send both Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick, which Redick is another guy that is not uh, on the timeline of uh, the Pelican stars and could net them some assets. But you send Holiday and Redick to Golden State, and then the Warriors send back Wiggins and Looney, uh, two, you know, bad contracts for them. And for taking on those guys and, of course, giving Golden State players that can help them compete now, Golden State would send them both their uh, number two pick this year and their Minnesota pick for uh, that uh, that they have for next season. And, you know, if, if that's too much uh, draft capital that you think the, the Warriors are sending to the Pelicans, you know, you could always bring it back a little bit and have uh, Griffin send the Warriors their 13th pick in this draft. Uh, so that that would be the, the little tinker that I would make is I would add that 13th pick, send that back to the Warriors for sending out what uh, what could be two top three or five picks, uh, their own and, of course, Minnesota's. That is kind of solid. You're right. I mean, with that being the case, on the Orleans side, you're definitely looking to build toward the future fully. And with Golden State, you have just revamped I mean, you've uh, definitely upgraded your bench. You definitely brought in a guy who can play perfectly alongside stuff. Like you've you've made, yeah, that that's I like that trade. I really do. That's that's pretty solid. Yeah, it's um as you said, I think Reddick would just become the the uh, the shooter off the bench for them, uh, and uh, he of course could come in and play with Clay Thompson. Thompson would move to the three. Holiday would be your starting two. It really, and then Holiday can be. The Warriors back a point guard as well when Steph sits. So it really it really figures out a lot of things. And if they were able to potentially get that 13th pick back, they could then, you know, move that and and potentially use that Andre Iguodala trade ex- uh, exception with that 13th pick and and get another guy maybe more in the in the front court area. Yeah. And you're right, and you have that that draft capital uh, a, a player. You're now you're in the top three of an intriguing draft, uh, at least for what they would do joining the Pelicans players already. You know what I mean? I actually like that team 
um, player fit combo better, whether that would be a LaMelo or LaMelo and Lonzo, that'd be fun. Actually, I don't know if that'd be fun. That'd be interesting. Um, or like, <laughs> I spoke too soon. Or like a, um, yeah, Anthony Edwards or Wiseman. Now you, you put your, I wouldn't say Wiseman because you're have Jackson Hayes, but you put yourself in more of a situation to move forward with that. And you're right, that pick next season would be even more compelling for Minnesota. So that is one that's intriguing. And I guess we kind of already touched on it, but I mean, in the trade, I was going to go to the next player who didn't really fit in the roster long term, and that was J.J. Redick, who's 36, um, on for another year. Uh, do you see, I guess, here's a question I propose to you, Garrett. Whether or not Holiday is moved this season, do you see Redick as someone who is almost certainly being looked to be moved, or is he kind of just going to be there as veteran leadership, more three-point shooting? Uh, I know that, obviously, the Pelicans should look to move him just because he doesn't fit their plans, obviously, but... Uh, what are your what is your meanings on this? Yeah, I mean, to me, if the logic is we should get rid of Holiday to focus on the future and get asset, assets, I think that uh-huh. logic also applies to Redick. Yeah, it just makes <laughs> sense. Redick even more so is, as you referenced, 36, not on the, to- the same timeline. Uh, and, you know, you could see something where uh, maybe maybe Holiday could be moved this offseason and, and Redick could be moved at the deadline but, uh, yeah, I would not be surprised if both of those guys are gone. And, uh, you know, Griffin is going to play this by ear if, if he sees a deal that uh, he thinks really benefits his team. I think he's going to pull the trigger. But if uh, if the offers for, say, J.J. Redick aren't good enough, I think he'll be fine to just sit back, let Redick be that veteran presence, teach the young guys uh, how to be professional and, um, you know, just uh, just keep him on the roster. Yeah, I know what you mean. He's not going to move him just for the sake of moving him. He's going to analyze, make the best deal possible. And if there no such deal arises, then, you know, it's no loss to have one of the best shooters in the NBA on your team, um, even if it's for a team that isn't contending. So I definitely understand that. Um, I guess from there, let's kind of move on to some of the young guys here. Um, and we can kind of go into them as much as we'd like. But we have Lonzo Ball, uh, Zion, obviously, Jackson Hayes, and and Josh Hart, and let's kind of just go with those four for right now. We kind of talked about Zion a little bit, so I guess we don't have to go with too much into him, uh, but we definitely can. But I also want to ask you more about Lonzo, because Lonzo, I think, became more of a comfortable off-ball shooter. I liked his chemistry with Zion. Uh, I still like his defense and passing at the same time. I think that – I don't want to say he is what he is. I just I just don't know if, if Lonzo at this point is – I just don't have super high feelings. I'm not super high on him. You know what I mean? I like the concept of him as a player, but I think this is a high-end role player than more of a starting point guard for the next, like, decade plus. Where are you on Lonzo Ball? And, and not only just in a career, but, like, specifically with New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's such a fascinating player because, yeah, he, he made some improvements last year, most notably, you know, altering his, his shot form, and that ended up uh, improving his his three-point percentage overall, so so that's a positive sign. But his struggles in terms of finishing at the basket, you know, he's he's really become, you know, even a, a worse version of a, a Rajon Rondo or like a Matthew Della Vadova, where when they get into the paint, you know they're going to pass, and if they don't pass, you know they're probably going to miss the shot. <laughs> yep, one of those two that's options. Concern, that's something that he's going to continue to have to get better at because we we saw in in the uh, the most recent NBA Finals that uh, you know it's it's getting more and more important for your role players and your your say your three and D type players that Lonzo might be able to fit into that sort of mold 
that it's it's important to not only be able to hit that shot, but then also be able to attack off the dribble when the defense closes out and, and prevents that shot. So that's something that they're going to continue to have to monitor. They're they're going to have another season here, hopefully, where he gets plenty of plenty of uh, court time and and Griffin can kind of evaluate him before they have to decide whether they're going to pay him or or move on. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is he is fascinating. The the one thing I would expect to see. And, and maybe why I was, uh, you know, I'm a little bit higher on him than most is I think they can, and Stan Van Gundy specifically, especially if he develops a defensive culture there in New Orleans, can get more out of Lonzo on that end. Lonzo has decent size, decent strength. He's a, he's a good athlete. Uh, and, and he showed signs, especially early in Los Angeles, that he was a solid defensive player, has that capability. If he can really become you know, maybe not an all NBA level defender, but close to that, like a, a, a well above average defensive guy, then maybe those shortcomings on the offensive end aren't, uh, aren't as, uh, negatively impactful. I definitely agree with that. If I'm, if you're in charge of the Pelicans right now, looking into this off into next off season, or even right now, are you extending him, basically? Are you keeping him? Are you looking to say, okay, you know what, come for free agency, we'll make you prior- priority? Are we going, okay, you know what, you're extension eligible, let's lock you up? Because you brought it up a couple times. Like, he's a fascinating player, but does that translate to, okay, you're fascinating want to keep you, or you're fascinating in, like, a Michael Carter-Williams kind of way? I mean, I'm, I'm probably leaning more towards uh, fascinating and will keep you, depending on the price, of course, you know, if he's mm-hmm. getting... $20 million a year, you know, maybe at that point, that's uh, a bit too pricey. But, you know, if he's in the, uh, you know, especially if he shows progress this season, maybe he shows that that three-point shot is legitimate. Uh, he gets to the mid to high 30s with that. And he shows a, a better aptitude on the defensive end. To me, yeah, he's uh, he's a starting or at least close to a starting caliber player and a guy that's worthy of, of 10 plus million dollars in free agency. But for me, it's a I'm all about just with New Orleans, just a wait and see approach. You know, let this season play out. Let's see what Lonzo looks like with with Zion, with Ingram, with Stan Van Gundy calling the shots and then make our decision from there, especially considering that uh, they have the the power of uh, of him being a restricted free agency and having that control. That is true. And that's a solid strategy. I'm with you on that. I'm definitely taking the wait and see approach. For sure, if you had a breakout year next year, then fine, we break the bank because we see, you know, what you have. Um, and that's granted on whether we believe that's sustainable moving forward. But either way, you're right. It's not, it's not someone making a all-in-what's decision to jump on. Um, speaking of another guy who's going to be restricted next year, uh, and another guy I'd wait and see, but Josh Hart, another solid player, came over again with Lonzo and Brandon Ingram in that Lakers trade. I think he's another solid guy, a great stout defender, really solid three-point shooter, someone who can – I just feel like a solid blue guy. What do you feel about Josh Hart there, Garrett? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, probably on a, a championship-caliber team, he's he's a bench player, but I think he could be a guy that, uh, you know, on a championship team could play 20, 25 minutes. I think he's uh, he's got that capability on both ends of the floor. Uh, we saw it, uh, you know, as uh, he, he won Summer League MVP. He has more ball skills than maybe you would traditionally ex- uh, expect. And, you know, he's he's another guy that uh, does a lot of the little things. He hustles, jumps on the floor for loose balls, plays, uh, you know, tough defense. And another guy, you know, speaking to 
Alvin Gentry not being that uh, that great of a defensive coach and maybe Van Gundy being able to lift this team's defensive effort and intensity, Josh Hart is another guy that I think has a lot of really good defensive tools and could be a real plus on that end of the floor. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a very solid defender, someone who, I mean, he's he's able to stick, he's able to guard bigger players. You know, he's someone LeBron at times. Uh, you've seen him on other bigs on switches, someone who's who's stout, you know, built solid and can do that. On the other end, uh, he has some, you know, he can go end-to-end occasionally, someone who's a solid shooter. I like Josh Wright. I think you're right. He's definitely a bench player on a championship team, but he's one of those high-end kind of role players that, you know, it's good to have around, especially knowing his role so early, you know, still, uh, well, young being 25, but, you know, someone who is who he is. Um, on now, let's get these other two guys that are on the roster. We'll go to some of the older players. Well, there's only two other older players under contract, but uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes. I know Jackson Hayes was just ticked that uh, he did not make the, the Rising Star game or, you know, in, during the All-Star game. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but... I, I think that passion is is great, even if the delivery and the um I don't know the professionalism wasn't all the way there. But what do you think about either of those guys and and where they are long term? I think I see more of a long term fit potentially for Jackson Hayes than I do Nikhil Alexander Walker. But at the same time, Walker kind of has time to kind of grow into a role. So those are my thoughts on them as players. But but where are you on that? Yeah, it's you know I'll start with with Hayes, and he's a guy that obviously is. Uh, is an incredible athlete. He's got great length. Uh, he needs to. He certainly needs to bulk up uh, to be able to deal with the uh, the grind of a regular season and also, uh, all, you know, the uh, his matchups against teams with traditional centers as well. You know, he can kind of get bullied a bit. So he's got to he's got to build up that strength. And I, I think a big thing for him too, and and you see this with a lot of young players, they just got to get time out there on the floor. And neither uh, Alexander Walker or Hayes got enough experience last season. Again, I think in part because the Pelicans were still in that sort of win-now mindset. Whereas I think hopefully with this uh, this news that uh, Drew Holiday is on the trading block, that sends a signal that this team is, is going to focus on the future, is going to focus on their young talent. And it's, uh, it's critical for, for young guys that are inexperienced to just get out there on the floor, see things uh, happen in, in front of their eyes, and, and just develop through that. You know, um, Speaking to uh, Griffin's uh, previous tenor with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think one of uh, the underrated aspects of that Cavs team winning that championship in 2016 was you know, Tristan Thompson. He was a guy that, yeah. despite uh, in his early years being pretty much a, a, a one of the worst players in the NBA, they continued to, to just play him and throw him out there, give him 30 minutes. And year after year, despite the fact that, you know, it, it required a lot of patience, uh, he <laughs> became a, a quality starting player for a championship team. And, and frankly, for these teams in, in rebuild mode, I know it might result, result, result in uh, a few extra losses over the course of a, of a 72-game season. It's, uh, it's so important, especially when you've invested so much in a guy like Jackson Hayes with the eighth pick, to get them out there and give them a chance to develop. Yeah, I, I, and give them all the minutes, let them go to work. I see exactly where you're coming from with that. I hope moving forward, uh, and as in next season, that they are at least given the opportunity to have, 
you know, to, to, to define a to find a role uh, if they have one to further define that because you're right. You only go as far as, as the minutes you're given. And I think both these guys have talent that can be fleshed out in ways that can be beneficial to the team. And with Stan Van Gundy there, you're right, that they will have if, – if if there's potentially tapped, he, he will do that. He'll do his best to put them in the right position. And from there, is just delivering on that end. And, and uh, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I, I already mentioned his statistics, his atrocious statistics as a rookie. He was mm-hmm. really bad, but – you know, coming out of uh, coming out of the draft, I was pretty high on him. He's he's got the ability to be that kind of combo guard, can guard multiple positions with his uh, size and length. And then also offensively, um, you know, he he did shoot the three ball okay. He he had a pretty good uh, you know analy- analytically savvy shot profile. He shot <laughs> yeah. a lot from from downtown. Uh, he he does have to improve his ability to finish at the rim and and his uh, his playmaking and and avoiding turnovers. But uh, you know I, I try not to overreact to to rookie campaigns, especially from young guards. Uh, I always go back to the example of Kemba Walker, where he was really really bad as a rookie. He was bad for the first couple of years, but um, you know like Tristan Thompson, just continued to get playing time on bad teams. Uh, and and continue to improve and eventually Walker of course is is one of the best point guards in the NBA now so I'm still uh, I'm I'm still excited about the potential of uh, Alexander Walker and and uh, you know with the athletic tools that Hayes has they've got a couple of guys that uh, that could turn into something but uh, they they need the uh, playing time to uh, to have an opportunity to get there yeah and, and uh, you right. you bring it up uh, Alexander I, I feel like. I don't know. His shots were horrible, but he's someone that I do have this irrational faith because I have a type. You know this, Garrett. Guys who can just come in, instant offense, uh, more gunners. That's my type of basketball now. So, like, he's someone that I definitely hope can grow. Only 22. So, getting some more time uh, and, and, and maybe some more seasoning in terms of what shots you should and should not take because having a horrible year is one thing and taking the right types of shots are, are another, but also knowing when to take set shots, you know what I mean? And so I do hope some of that uh, comes with time. And, and like you said, that playing time would necessitate, hopefully, um, that development. But there's two guys that are on, also on the roster. Uh, I don't really have, uh, aside from one, Nicolo Melli and Darius Miller. Darius Miller ruptured his Achilles. He had surgery. He missed all year. Uh, he was really, from what Danley Ruiz said, the the – the walking trade exception because it was rumored that, you know, the Pelicans could use him in a trade um, at some point, that salary, but that all went kaput um, once uh, – actually, that was about to come out wrong. I was going to say all went kaput once uh, Miller's uh, Achilles went there, but that's not cool. Uh, it, it was bad on that end. And then for Nicola Melli, uh, someone who as a, a big – he he swung between the four plates, some of the five, really good three-point shooter. He's 30, doesn't fit the timeline at all. I think he was definitely a signing brought off between – the Pelicans trying to figure out um, winning and contending, quote-unquote. And I don't know where he stands now because especially his position being in the way of someone like maybe uh, Jackson Hayes, definitely a Zion, uh, Brandon Ingram, uh, some of that sort. At the same time, I, I don't know about Miller's effectiveness on a contending team, but I think that Melly could fit in a trade. I don't think he's anywhere on the totem pole of, oh, we got to move him as uh, someone like Drew Holiday or J.J. Redick are. But I do see him having a fit on a team that needs some extra shooting from a big position. What do you think about uh, Melly and uh, Miller, Garrett? Yeah, I mean, Melly is interesting because, as you said, he's uh, 
you know, he's uh, a, a possible contributor on a, on a decent team. You know, if he's your fourth big, I think you could you could do a lot worse than that. Uh-huh. He's uh, he's a guy that uh, will consistently knock down shots. He plays hard. Uh, he's he's obviously not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's he's under a good contract. He's making uh, just over uh, three million dollars, uh, three point one million for the next three seasons. So good contract, a, a contract that all obviously can be thrown into deals just as a, a as a salary add to to make the the money match. Um, but uh, he's also a guy that if you choose to, if Griffin chooses to keep him and he's your ninth or 10th guy in your rotation, uh, you know, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, I definitely think the same. Uh, he's someone that, like you said, his cheap contract is someone that's play style. It fits on the Pelicans too. Like it's not an issue. I just feel like personally, I maybe I'm on my own, my G, my GM mode, but if I'm trying to clear minutes for the young players, I'm doing a fire sale on, I don't want to say everyone 30 and over because I don't want to go full youth in that way. I think it is beneficial to have some vet on the roster, but I think that you can at least get maybe a late first or a second or a couple seconds for Melly, um, in my mind, for what he brings, especially for teams like, I don't know, off the top of my head, Philly, or, or teams that need shooting just as a premium. Um, so that, that's my thoughts on him. But then as far as uh, Miller, I think uh, – you know, we saw a player before, saw a three-point shooter. I don't know if he was going to bring too much to this team aside from that. And with that injury, I guess there remains to be seen what he looks like. But he wasn't a guy that was really relying on athleticism that way anyway. So I, I, I hope, obviously, for a full bounce back. But I Yeah, mean, but, you know, when when you talk about a, a player that already was not, a, was not a great athlete. True. We talk about the uh, decline of of guys that are athletic like Russell Westbrook, right? And say, oh, this is going to really, you know, hurt him as the years go by. But it's the same for guys that are already pretty average or maybe below average athletes. If they take a significant drop in in their overall athleticism, it's going to make them that much worse. So that's my biggest concern. I've been a big fan of Darius Miller over the years. I thought he's he's been an underrated player. Again, as you mentioned, just that 3 and D guy. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, already, even prior to the most recent uh, devastating injury that he suffered, his athleticism was getting to the point where it was, it was getting tough to, to, have him, to have him on the floor. And uh, I question now after this if, if he's ever really going to be an NBA caliber guy. Yeah, I could definitely see him taking more of the Anthony Morrow route where they bring him in for, like, one possession as, like, a floor spacer at the end of a game randomly. Like, you're right, maybe regular rotation minutes is, is out of the question. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you make a great point as far as the athleticism. And that's why I thought for, uh, I guess, as a positive, my okay, it's not going to impact him that much on the offensive end because he wasn't using the attribute to begin with anyway. But on the defensive end, you're right, that, that's probably killer. Uh, and I mean, he's on through the rest of the year. So at least, you know, barring any, uh, moves or wave, his seven mil will be on, on, on the books for the remainder of, of, of the contract or through 2020, 2021. Um, but that will round out every player that's currently under contract for the Pelicans. I figured that from now, from here, uh, we got to spend a little bit of the conversation on their biggest free agent and one of the biggest free agents in my mind, the biggest free agent out there on the market right now, um, restricted or otherwise. And that's Brandon Ingram. And uh, uh, 23, breakout year, most improved player. He's blossomed to, at worst, a very solid all-star level second option, at worst. 
and I have been high on Brandon Ingram when he I've been high on Ingram Ingram even when he was kind of going up and down with LA I just felt like you know eventually we would get a season like we did this past year where it would come together and that while he wouldn't be a Kevin Durant I thought that comp was was very uh, surface level that he would definitely be someone that could be a a star uh, and with that I mean I think it's a no brainer that he comes back to New Orleans right Garrett. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, his improvement as a floor spacer, a guy that could fit around Zion, I think makes it a, an absolute no brainer that they're going to bring him back. And and frankly, when you've got a restricted free agent that's a that's a budding star at this age of, of 23, the the biggest thing that uh, New Orleans should should be trying to accomplish here is getting the full five years on this deal and uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, they've got him locked up for the long haul. And even if that means you've got to uh, to spend a little bit more money to uh, to secure that fifth year, I think you've got to do it. Yeah, I mean, 23.8 points, 6.1 rebounds, 4.2 assists, all career-high marks, despite playing the almost same amount of minutes that he played last year, I mean, the year before in L.A. Um, his overall field goal percentage went down, but his three-point percentage jumped up. We already ran over that. Um, all-star game, not and most improved player. Like we, we've seen what he is. His shot profile, you mentioned earlier, has totally changed. Uh, he's he's a guy that, yeah, I think his ascension this year with the Pelicans only proved, like we mentioned already, that he can become a one-two punch with Zion. And being just 23 to Zion's 20, that is not that far a difference at all. Uh, yeah, the Pelicans bring him back. I don't think that there is a question uh, otherwise, and you're right. I think you prioritize getting that full five years. Lock him up long-term. Even when that contract ends, he'll still be almost squarely in his prime, which is kind of crazy to think, being that you know he's been in the league for a couple of years now and is already where he is. So I, I'm, I'm excited uh, for sure to see what the future holds for Ingram, and I think I'm, I'm definitely more intrigued by that fit with Zion, which was clunky at times and smoother than others to see if, okay, long-term, they can really hammer out a, a partnership that, that becomes that dynamic duo. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, speaking to the the, the five years thing again, the idea of, you know, you, the if everything goes right for the Pelicans, you would hope that perhaps in, in years four and five of that contract that they're competing for, for championships. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that extra year that you have that certainty that one of your top guys is on the roster is just, it makes everything easier from a, uh, from, from building out the rest of the roster standpoint and uh, giving yourself as big of a window as possible. Exactly. And I'm, I'm hoping that that is something that they do, because then you have to also avoid the hoopla of, oh, you know, like you said, you're four, you're five Pelicans uh, on the cusp of contention. And, oh, but Brandon Ingram can opt out or whatever the case may be. Just lock it up, keep yep. it in, give him his money and keep it moving. Uh, speaking of that, keeping it moving, we have two other restricted free agents for the Pelicans, uh, Frank Jackson and Kendrick, Kendrick, Kendrick Williams. And Jackson's 22, didn't have the best of years, uh, definitely wasn't a great shooting year. Uh, Kendrick Williams was a, a more solid shooter, but just I feel like there's question marks up and down on him. What do you think about those two and whether the Pelicans should bring them back? Yeah, I think they're both okay. Uh, you know, if, yeah. your, if, if Frank Jack- Jackson is your third point guard, which that's what he was last year, and if they bring him back, that's likely what he would be slotted in uh, as well for this upcoming season. I think yeah, that's, that's pretty decent. Uh, and, and Kendrick Williams, you know, he's probably – uh, behind Melly in the pecking order, especially if uh, you know 
um, if if they bring him back. But uh, again, a, a guy that uh, you know, if if Melly gets hurt or someone else in the rotation gets hurt, I think he can step in and provide competent play. So yeah, you know, especially as restricted free agents, they should be able to get these guys on decent contracts and and low numbers. So mm-hmm. you know, to me, why not? They're 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 decent. They're familiar with the area. Uh, that I don't see any issues in terms of their personality or their locker room presence. So, so yeah, if you can get them on, on, on pretty good deals, I say, why not? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. <laughs> like I'm a little higher on Jackson than Williams only because Williams is older. And I feel like we've seen what he is with Jackson. I guess I can talk myself into believing that um, there is more uh, to be had from him. But yeah, those two guys, if you can get them back, they're still relatively young. They fit. I mean, they're not relatively young. Jackson, 22. Williams is relatively young uh, for this team. But he'd be uh, another of those older guys who have been around for a bit. That could help. Um, now we go to our unrestricted free agents. We have three of them. All three had, you know, uh, varying roles on this last year's team. And for two of them have had decent roles for the past couple of years. That's Derek Favors, 29. Each one more, 31. And Jalil Local, 425. All unrestricted. Uh, Favors uh, came in this past season. I think he played really well um, in his minutes uh, playing at center. And then, of course, Etwan Moore being that steady swingman for the last couple of years uh, with his threes and his floaters. You know what you're getting from Mr. Moore. And then the local four being that kind of backup change of pace big that uh, the Pelicans had for a couple of years as well. But uh, out of those three, do you see all three coming back? Are you thinking two of them and not maybe Okafor more? What are your thoughts on them and, and, and not only just their future in New Orleans, but just as players? Yeah, I mean, the Favors one is is the most interesting because he's the guy that, you know, when he was healthy, he started for for this team. And, uh, you know, he's had some some great seasons in the NBA. He's a quality player, but he's he's had some some major durability issues uh, that have uh, that have held him back. But, you know, if if they have some indication from their medical staff that favors is, is looking healthy, of course, it's been an extended layoff for him. Uh, you know, I, I say bring him back, especially considering that, uh, you know, this Pelicans team probably isn't a, a major free agent destination, at least right now, until yeah. they prove themselves as a legitimate contender maybe in a year or two. Um, so to me, favors might be their best option, the best player that they could reasonably expect to, to bring back to this roster. So, uh, yeah, I say do it. My only concern is with him is the idea of him, uh, you know, playing and, and really limiting Jackson Hayes playing time. I think even if you bring back favors, you know, you can even start favors, but I, I still think it's, it should be a priority that they make sure Jackson Hayes gets minutes and consistent minutes night in and night out. So uh, that would be my only concern there, but but certainly Favors is a, is a quality player. Uh, as far as uh, Okafor, he's a guy that, uh, you know, showed some signs to be a, a decent backup center, but it's another situation where the, the backup center market is going to be flush with, uh, with different guys that you could get and probably get for really cheap. So it's just going to be a matter of, what sort of numbers is Okafor interested in? Is he happy in New Orleans? Uh, so it might be more dependent on on what he wants than what the team wants in, in that case. And uh, I, I forgot who's the third guy we're talking about. Oh, oh, Etwan uh, Moore. <laughs> I, I threw him yeah, three at and, once. And uh, and and Etwan Moore, you know, he's a guy that uh, again another 
Uh, you know, another solid veteran that if he's your 10th, 11th guy on the bench, I think you're pretty content with that. But, uh, you know, when you look at this Pelicans roster, they, they've got so many guys that can play the two already. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talk about Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, Lonzo Ball, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, uh, you know, and even like... Uh, you know, Brandon, Brandon Ingram, Ingram. Yeah. has shown that he's better defending guards. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you could even uh, this team could in the future, if they get enough talent, at the wing spots could could uh, could play these super big lineups. Um, so there there is a question of this uh, this two position for this team just being overstuffed and whether you need a guy like Etwan Moore. Um, but again, if you can in this market with so few teams having salary cap space, again, you can probably get him for for real cheap. He's been there for a while. I think, again, a good locker room presence uh, if and, and, you know, if you have some injuries and, and you need a guy to step up and and play rotation minutes, I think he's he's competent. Yeah. And I think that's in a word how I would describe all the free agents that are available with them competent, you know. Someone that can, uh, in varying levels of success, you know, come off the bench and 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 and, and hold down the fort for the Pelicans. So that'll be interesting to see what they do. I personally, I like Jalil, but you already have Jackson Hayes, and I think the way I'd like to kind of move forward with the Pelicans, we're gonna talk about it later in terms of like, uh, like their plan of attack. But I'd like more of like a big shooter there. But all those guys are interesting fits, and you know, whether they're brought back or not, I don't see anyone that I'm like, nope, stay away from, you know, and so. That, that's pretty soft for New Orleans to be at, you know, at this juncture. But let's kind of move on to the draft pack, draft packs. Picks and future assets uh, for the Pelicans. So in this 2020 draft, literally like 11 days from now, uh, they have the 13th, the 39th, the 42nd, and the 60th pick in the draft. So we're just really going to focus on the 13th and, and, and what we see there. But if we're looking at the Pelicans, who do you think that they should target in the draft? If you have a specific player... That's perfectly fine, but if not, like an archetype of a player, uh, that works perfectly well as well, Gary. Yeah. So again, I, I haven't done much. Uh, I haven't done much in terms of uh, studying the draft yet, so probably don't have a specific guy in mind. No, that's but, good. Uh, yeah. Um, but I guess the, I guess the one guy that uh, that might be uh, taken a little bit too soon for for the 13th pick would be Tyrese Halliburton. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I think. Uh, you know, with a team where you've got Zion and Brandon Ingram, who might be holding the ball and, and handling a lot of the usage in the front court positions, you might, uh, you know, this Pelicans team looking towards the future might need more guards in the George Hill sort of type where they're three and D guys. They, they can run a pick and roll if you need them to, but that's not uh, primarily what they're doing for your team. And, from what I've heard about Halliburton, that kind of could be his uh, potential being a decent 3 and D guy, maybe uh, not uh, as uh, high a potential in terms of being a lead creator. But also, you know, I think um, as uh, as Danny Ainge has shown, uh, you, you need wings in the NBA. And despite having Zion, who uh, is a four or five, and Brandon Ingram, who can kind of go between the two and the four, I think they could they could still use some more wings and, and, and maybe another guy that you would hope that, especially if Brandon Ingram is going to be your guy on the offensive end, handling a lot and expending a lot of energy there, you wouldn't want to also make him your primary wing stopper, right? Yeah. So 
you know, a guy maybe in uh, in that three and D mold that can defend like an OG Ananobi mold that can defend the uh, the opposition's stars at the at the forward spots would be would be really beneficial. And, and also, again, because you've got maybe your your two biggest usage guys on the offensive end already set with this roster for this foreseeable future, getting a guy that is comfortable off the ball is uh, would 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 be a plus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I looked at one guy specifically, and I'm Aaron Naismith. Uh, I think one of the best shooters in the draft currently, someone who can play off ball, has some size, you know, and at least moves his feet defensively in the right area, but can open up so much space. And you have a younger player with that shooting ability, like you said, doesn't need the ball, because you know, a lot of players are on the Pelicans right now that are going to handle the ball and can kind of diversify the offense from that respect. So I agree with what you're looking for, and I kind of have that as my own type of player slash archetype that I'm looking for in the draft as well. Uh, Halliburton will be very nice if he goes that far. Um, even if there's a guy like a, a Precious Achua, a uh, rim-rolling big, and you say, okay, you know, we're just going to have him and, and not bring back to the local for and kind of go with that. Um, him and Zion and... Uh, uh, Jackson Hayes are bigs and just kind of move on from that area. I wouldn't mind that either, but yeah, I'm with you. Someone who, you know, can can make the most of um, his uh, offensive uh, usage without having the ball in his hands. Uh, preferably for me, that'd be like a really good shooter. And Aaron Naismith, uh, from what I've seen, is is one of the best out there. So that would well, definitely I, be something. I, like that. Yeah, I wanted to make a quick comment about uh, you know you, you said that maybe look after look at a, a rim rolling big and that's where I, I kind of disagree because and and I that's why I was kind of down on the Jackson Hayes selection uh-huh. from the get go is this idea that if you're playing Zion at the four, uh, I would rather have a center that can stretch the floor as opposed to one that uh, has to be around the rim because that's where you you want Zion to have as much space in the paint as possible. And so especially considering they've already invested an asset in Jackson Hayes as a, a potential rim roller, uh, I, I think it would be a mistake to, to go that route again. Uh, and again, uh, when, you, when you've when you got a question whether a rim rolling center is an ideal fit with Zion. Yeah, so for me, I'm with you. I think that I get where you're coming from. I, I say this in, in concept because since Zion's not going to be playing the entire time, I think off-season-wise, and this is what we're talking about, I wanted to get a center that's starting that will stretch the floor. But coming off the bench, I wouldn't mind having one, you know, when Zion's out, coming off the bench, someone who can kind of emulate that rim-rolling um, gravity that Zion brings starting. You know, he's going to play a lion's share of the minutes, and, of course, there'll be a clunky lineup when you have someone like Zion playing at the same time that you have, let's say, Jackson Hayes or Precious Achua, at, you know, at, at, in those same minutes. But I'm thinking more of the time when he's not on the floor and you have someone that you can say, okay, you're rim rolling. That's what you're doing. We still have uh, Lonzo Ball handling the ball or X, Y, Z, and we're just going to have that as like an offensive action that you can do. But not someone I, I would drop uh, from that point saying, okay, you're starting alongside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess for me it's just the in terms of managing the assets. You mentioned they had maybe a, uh, what was it, also a, a late first-round pick, early second? Yeah, they were the 13th, and then I think they go from that to like the 40. The 42nd, the 60s, I'm missing one. I'll get that. Yeah, but like, I certainly understand your, your thought process. And, yeah, having that uh, that bench big could be valuable. But it, if I'm trying to value my asset as a 13th pick, I'm looking to to try and hit a home run and, and try to, to get a wing, which is a lot more valuable of a position. And then if you if you want to still try to, to nail that big man, maybe you can use a second or a late first in future years to try to, to get that. But – 
I think if you're if you're this high up in the draft at the at the end of the lottery, uh, especially if you're talking about the guy's only going to be a, a a backup potentially, uh, I, I would try to swing for getting that uh, that positional value at the wing spot. That makes sense. I can definitely agree with that, and that's that's a thought that you're looking for the long term kind of fit for this team. That's something that can definitely fill a role moving forward, even if. Like I like mine, but I, I would agree that it's rather short-sighted as it is right now. Um, but free agency, and I guess this is where I was going to kind of go into my thought. What, what free agents are, are you thinking uh, for the Pelicans to pursue or, or ones that you would like them to pursue? And I, I was going to tell mine, which was basically like uh, I wanted a, a big that would do for Zion what Brooke Lopez did for Giannis. In 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 um in Milwaukee, and so I was thinking that what's funny is that the player that kind of narrowed down to that fit was a player they already had on their roster. Um, that was Christian Wood from the Pistons because you know he has great athleticism, they can score at the rim, he can block shots, but most importantly, he can make threes. And between that skill set and his youth, I feel like he would be a good fit. But you know, there's probably going to be a pretty high bidding war on him, and that was looking at other veterans that could kind of do. Um, more of the same of what I was seeing from uh, Wood, if if not the athleticism slash youth part, which was thinking guys like Aaron Baines or Myers Leonard. Uh, and then I looked and I was like, oh, they already kind of have a guy like that on their team in Nicola Melli that we already referenced before. But I feel like I kind of want someone that I would be more comfortable starting with long term. So that's what I'm looking at, more of like a shooting big. But uh, what are your kind of free agent thoughts, targets, hopes for New Orleans? Yeah, I mean the uh, the the Wood would be a good fit, especially offensively. But uh, I think he's going to be making too much money, and I don't think New Orleans should invest that much money in a center, frankly. But um, you know, uh, the the biggest thing for me is you, know, you talk about this team has what is it looks like twenty three million dollars in in cap space uh-huh. um, prior to to even signing any of their own guys, but uh, you know, this team, again, and I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode, not only with kind of the young players, but also uh, in terms of what this team could could uh, could use around their, their best guys. And, and frankly, I think I think New Orleans should, should pretty much keep their powder dry, sign some of their own guys back on one-year deals, play the 2021 free agent market, um, or, or even beyond that, uh, you know, they've got a couple of years before Zion signs his big extension, whenever that happens. Um, but uh, I, I frankly think New Orleans should, should, uh, yeah, kind of play the wait and see approach, see what you have with this roster, see what they look like under uh, Coach Stan Van Gundy, um, and uh, yeah, you know, then in future years, once you've developed a culture, once you've developed a team that maybe looks like they're on the rise then maybe they're more appealing to the the big name free agents that could that could really put them over the top. I get that. Makes a lot of sense. I, I guess my only reservation about 2021 is that so many other teams are also going to have cap space as well. Right. And I don't know if New Orleans will still be a, a great you know free agent destination or even a, a tantalizing one next season when you're going to have so many other teams that are contenders established now that have that money, you know? So that would be my one reservation on that. At the same time, I do agree with you not – um, spending a lot of money on a center, especially since they're the most replaceable kind of position out there. But I guess that's why I'm thinking about more or less targeting someone who, you know, won't come at a high cost, except Christian Wood. I'm very high on Christian Wood. I think that 
uh, maybe long term his third design would be kind of clunky, but like I like his youth and 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 the ability to kind of grab him alongside those guys. I just think that shores up that that center position. But if you're looking at Zion as eventually going into a five, then maybe there's more of a question mark there, you know? Right. Well, and yeah, that's obviously a concern that you know maybe your yeah maybe your closing lineups will feature Zion at the five when he fully develops. But also, you know, you've got to question whether a Zion Christian Wood uh, power forward center combo is good enough defensively, especially at the highest levels. That would be my biggest concern. Obviously, offensively, it would be dynamite. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've you've got to be concerned a little bit about uh, about that. Now, one one route that they could go, you know, just looking over some of the available free agents. This would not be looking towards the future. This would be more of a a present thing. But I think Aaron Baines would be a decent fit with That's Zion. It. You know, he's yeah. a guy that could that could handle some of the bulkier centers, make it so that Zion doesn't have as much wear and tear. Uh, his improved three-point shooting last year would be a a, a, a good bet to uh, to space the floor around Zion. And, yeah, he's just a, a solid veteran, a guy that, uh, you know, executes the defensive principles of the uh, the coach. So, you know, I think Baines, uh, out, of the, out of the available centers in terms of two-way options and guys that, uh, you know, might not get a lot of money. I think Baines would be a decent fit. I don't know. I agree with you. I actually mentioned him as well as someone I was looking at that would be a good fit on this team. So, no, that that's a solid uh, solid selection and, and one that you're right. Not only makes sense from the offensive ability, which I was looking at mostly, just being someone who could shoot three and, and, and be a good defender, but, like, ideally putting him on the less taxing matchup for Zion, not only just for, for the for the physical wear down, but also I think it'll focus on his defensive awareness and make him you know be some more of a, a person able to wreak havoc um, on the weak side. So that'd be interesting. Um, another, another guy that uh, you know just from a from a guard standpoint, and, and this would be in the event say that they trade JJ Redick and lose his shooting. Uh, you know they they could uh, they could be in need of a little bit extra shooting on the perimeter. So guys like. Uh, Bryn Forbes or Langston Galloway, those guys could be a fit depending on whether they uh, they move on from Redick. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. Well, the, the kind of chess piece of that move, um, depending on whether they make changes to that roster right now, that'll be a nice fit as well. So they got a few places they can go. Obviously, I think I would go with you in, in, in treading with caution, except like for me, there's like two or three players that like, okay, if you can get them, get them, but you do have to, and I guess this is where that team construction, it's a delicate balance because you do have to make sure that you're not messing up, you know, future iterations of your team by making a short side decision in free agency on a year that's, that's admittedly rather weak in this class. So that's definitely something I'm looking at. All right, so two more questions before we get to our superlatives, Garrett. Um, for New Orleans, and this is an interesting question, I'm, I'm, I think this, this, this one is more appropriate, specific, specific uh, can't talk. This question is more appropriate specifically for them, but how should New Orleans go into next season? Is it another year of development? Is it an attempt to turn the corner to a more competitive unit? Is it, you know, play all the young guys and, and kind of make decisions from then as far as restricted free agents and Lonzo and, and Hart? What do you think the Pelicans should do, and then what do you think they will do? And if those match, you know, all the better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I probably brought this up earlier when we were talking about some of the young talent that I think Jackson Hayes, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Lonzo Ball, I think these guys should all be given as many minutes as, as they can handle and, and develop that young talent. So I'm, I'm very much of the belief that, you know, don't 
prioritize winning this year too much. I mean, we saw that and and in part why Anthony Davis eventually uh, forced a trade out of New Orleans is I think they mismanaged that situation uh, from a very early point. They decided we're going to try to win right now with Anthony Davis and they mortgaged the future assets and they, they didn't try to uh, to get future assets either through deals because, again, they were they were uh, try, pining for for each and every win in the moment. So, yeah, I think they hopefully the, the Pelicans organization learned from that. And, and Griffin, I think, is a, is a smart guy uh, that uh, he's going to focus on the future, understand that he's got a, a young core. He's got a ton of future draft picks. But I also think if you can continue to get more draft picks, more assets, you do it. I, I never understand the, the people that are, you know, when it comes to the Thunder and Sam Presti and, and of course, Griffin. And, and New Orleans, where they, they've got all these draft picks, and people say, well, at some point, those, uh, you know, getting more doesn't have any value. And, and I couldn't mm-hmm. disagree any more with that. You know, you, you look at the, the process in Philadelphia, they had, what was it, four top five picks with, with Okafor, Simmons, Fultz, and Embiid, and only two of those panned out. And frankly, Philadelphia is sitting here in a bit of a limbo wondering, are they ever going to win a championship? So despite having four top five picks, that might not have been enough. So for me, it's like, it, you know, even if I have the potential to get five and I could get seven, I'm going to do it, you know, and, and worry yeah. about all of the all of the salaries and, and having too many players on your roster. You can worry about that later. But at no point am I devaluing getting additional draft picks. So you're saying, OK, so you're saying right now that's. You're not letting anything go in the way of that. You're just kind of like if it's opportunity presents itself, you're going. Exactly. You know, if you can get draft picks for for Holiday and Redick, you do it. Uh, if you if you re-sign favors to a one year deal and you can get a decent second at the deadline, you 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 pull the trigger. Uh, I just think you uh, you've got to continue to give yourself as many shots at the draft as possible because the the draft is uh, is a gamble every time and it's uh, there's. You know, David Griffin's draft record, he, he, he hasn't done many drafts in his career, but it's it's not perfect. Of course, he, he drafted Andrew Wiggins, which uh, doesn't look too great, although he ended up trading that for Kevin Love. But, uh, you know, we, we still don't know whether uh, whether Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker are going to pan out. So mm-hmm. give yourself as many shots as possible to uh, to add talent to this roster and, uh, you know, give the young players opportunities to develop, even if they're bad. As I said earlier, Tristan Thompson was really bad his first couple of years, but because he got that experience, he improved and eventually became a crucial piece. So give these young guys a chance to, in four or five years, be a crucial piece of a, of a championship caliber team. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Don't make it about already reach the playoffs next year. Do what you can. Obviously, you have Zion for a long haul. You're trying to lock up Ingram for the long haul. You can make decisions on Lonzo Ball and Josh Harden, others later. And, and I, I, I agree with you. You said you have the chance to, to, to cash in on players right now, win now players, get them to other teams and get the picks and, and prospects attached that, fine. And then the, the making, the final form of the New Orleans Pelicans will work itself out naturally. You know, the force feed it. You know, you definitely don't want to rush the development in a, in a, in a fruitless uh, win-now situation, especially when, like, just objectively you're not winning the championship next year. That's just not happening. You know what I mean? There's, like, nine other teams that have to disappear, you know, if we even be think that, thought about it in that way. So, like, that shouldn't be your focus. I definitely would would prefer a lot more development-focused 
uh, outlook than what happened this past year where I felt like it was kind of weird that they didn't know when they were going to go. And if you end up winning and you end up being like that, that feel-good team like the Memphis Grizzlies that just make the playoffs, then great. That's awesome. But I agree with you. If you have the chance to, to you know, get picks and get the development and get those young guys the minutes they need, then do that. And if you can do that while getting out players that, and this isn't a negative connotation, but players who stand in the way of getting those young guys the development, then do that as well. Because J.J. Reddick still has another couple of years good left to give. Drew Holiday is only 30. Too old for the Pelicans right now, but definitely young in terms of a player who can definitely give you a couple more solid years. Uh, even down line, we mentioned Nicole O'Malley and guys like that. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Will they make the playoffs the coming season? I guess it depends on which route they go. Garrett, as currently destructed, as currently constructed, do you think the Pelicans are making it? No, I don't think so. And oh, uh, yeah. I, just, I, I just had one more comment about uh, you know how they approach next season. And, and when I say make sure the young guys get playing time, um, you know, don't go all in to win now. Like you can you can do all of that. You can give Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander all the minutes that they need to develop while still developing a culture, a winning culture. You know, it's, you mm-hmm. know, culture isn't literally all about just the, the end result of winning and losing. It's about making sure the, the players show up on time to practice, making sure that they are playing hard when they're on the floor, making sure that when they, when they make a mistake that uh, you don't just immediately scold them, you, you tell them the mistake and, and, advise them how they can correct it in the future and and let them play through a few of them as long as they're not effort mistakes. So that's the thing is, you know, people often uh, conflate the two of being, oh, you can't have a good culture if you're a losing team. And I just disagree with that. I think you can teach all of the right things while giving younger guys a chance to uh, to improve. I think you can do both of those things. And, and I think with, uh, with David Griffin and Stan Van Gundy, they've got the... Uh, the uh, infrastructure to accomplish that. Yeah, you're right. The 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 the, folk, the foundations in place that they can do that. And I guess you're right in terms of, or not I guess, I agree with you in terms of the fact that you have a coach in San Van that <laughs> can definitely start instilling those positive habits so that, hey, you're not making the postseason this year, but you are in a, in a good line to do it next season, whatever the case may be. Um, with that, let's, let's get on down to superlatives, Garrett. Uh, I have uh, the best player... On the roster, I think that's interesting. I'm actually glad that I have you here for this. Who do you think right now is the best player on the Pelicans? It's tough because uh, I think this question is dependent on if all the players are fully healthy. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to go by that. I'm going to make the assumption that everyone's fully healthy to start the, uh, the the next season. I think the best player is, in that case, Zion Williams. The um, you know we We didn't even really see... Uh, you know, I, I've heard I didn't watch a lot of Zion in college, but we saw people even suggest that the Zion we saw uh, prior to the shutdown wasn't even, you know, the athletic peak that we saw of him at Duke. So if he's fully healthy and even if he is the Zion we saw prior to the Orlando bubble, I think he's clearly the best player on this team. Uh, they they played their best basketball when when he came back near the, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, what, late late January, early February of last season. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, he's the best player. Although, you know, if, if you're asking me who's going to have the best floor yeah. <laughs> on, uh, out of this roster, then then the uh, the answer is Brandon Ingram. Uh, I was torn on this one, too. And I think 
it, it boils down to who's there. I always thought Drew Holiday, but I'm like, no, I think it's clearly uh, either Zion or Brandon. And I swung on Brandon so far just because Brandon made the All-Star team. No, I went on Brandon because I like what I saw from him being a guy who obviously put the ball in the basket, rebounded well, and was a pretty good uh, initial offensive initiator. And I thought that right now that's something that Zion didn't really flash too much of yet. There's still a lot of time. Uh, obviously, Zion is, is the guy who's going to ultimately, in my opinion, be the better player. But as of, like, right now, I'm looking at Brandon, uh, especially when, like, if the game's on the line, whatever the case may be, I just see a lot more opportunities right now for Brandon to leave his mark than Zion. Uh, but that's – I know that's very much short-term and could change as soon as this upcoming season. Um, but aside from that, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on the best player than that, or are we, we good to move to the worst? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Drew Holiday because I'm almost like, I'm, uh, in my mind, I'm almost thinking he's not on this team. He's just not going to be on this team next year. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, he's definitely in consideration. I think, um, you know, that part of me also is considering maybe he'll decline a little bit just due to age for next season compared to what we saw last year. And, and Ingram might even, after coming off most improved, might continue to improve just given his age. Um, but, uh, yeah, if I had to look back on just last season, even though Brandon Ingram got all of the statistical and, and award recognition, I, I probably would have said it was Drew Holiday. Uh, so so certainly he has a case. I'm just uh, I'm pretty much of the mindset that he's not going to be on this roster come December 22nd. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he would moved as soon as next week. <laughs> yeah, like uh, it's, it's very much in play. You know what I mean? But yeah, that, that, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm looking at. Uh huh. There's there's too many uh, there's too many teams that could use Drew Holiday uh, for for this trade not to happen. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a smoke, there's fire. There's enough talks. It's gonna happen. I'm just waiting for the, the domino to fall, the first one. But before we get too excited on Drew Holiday, let's go on to the worst player. And the worst player, I I I kind of amended what I meant from this. This could be the worst player who's getting minutes, or or a player that you're just more down on. Uh, than the majority. Hmm. So I was just basing it on, you know, uh, what we saw last year. I mean, the worst player. That's, yeah, that works. <laughs> the, the, the worst player that got minutes for this team was Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, he was he was really bad. And, and even if he improves a decent amount, I, I expect him to still be pretty bad this upcoming year. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Who am I, uh, you know, as far as the public perception, who am I down on the most? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it might even be Brandon Ingram. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think if this uh, if this Pelicans team is going to get to championship level, I think it's going to be because of Zion becoming a top 10, top five guy as opposed to Brandon Ingram, I think. Ingram is probably, and I could be, I could be very wrong on this, but I, I am expecting Ingram to kind of stick in this top 15 to 20 player area in the NBA for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm a little bit uh, less high on him than I think the the uh, the the general public, but I think he's a fantastic player. He's a very skilled scorer. There's just an element to me of, you know, defensively, he's not giving you that uh, Kawhi-level production where, or even a LeBron, what we saw out of him defensively. 
Um, so, you know, he, he certainly is a, is a fantastic offensive player, but there also is an element, too, of how much is he improving his teammates play on the offensive end as opposed to just getting his own kind of a la Kyrie Irving. Yeah, going out and getting his. I get you on that. And and you make a good point in terms of having um, a, a player that I think he can get to, like, the top 10 range, but, like, more than likely I could see him sitting in that 10 to 15. So I'm with you on that. And that's an interesting one to say as far as, like, a player like that. For me, it would probably have to be Lonzo, but, I mean, people already have, like, different opinions on Lonzo as is, so that's probably not breaking news or anything of that sort. Um, play with the highest potential. I mean, it's got to be Zion, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy is, uh, is, is an absolute freak athlete. I mean, um, you know, we, we saw – what uh, a player of kind of his size and athleticism is capable of. I think like a, a tw- I'm thinking of like a 2015 Blake Griffin, but uh, even stronger, even more difficult to prevent from just, uh, you know, eviscerating opponents at the rim over and over again. He's already elite in terms of his foul drawing, his uh, just uh, getting to the basket over and over again. I think he's going to continue to improve his finesse in terms of finishing at the basket. Uh, he'll hopefully uh, continue to improve his finishing with his right hand so he's not uh, you know, so predictable in terms of which yeah. direction he's going. Um, but uh, you know, if he can even get a little bit better going the other direction, it's just going to be an absolute nightmare for opponents. And yeah, I just... I just hope to God this guy stays healthy because, yeah, the, the ceiling is through the roof. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there is a question mark whether uh, he'll ever achieve it, uh, given the, the knee issues. And, and he's had some 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 foot uh, injuries in, in his days at Duke. So there are genuine concerns. But uh, if he ever reaches his potential and his body doesn't betray him, boy, could this guy be very, very special and very soon. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And someone that I that I keep going back to his first game against Antonio. Just like you saw a flash, especially what the three point shot could be if it's something that it, not prioritized, but something he just kind of continues working at. But the gravity on the floor, you know, being able to take and not he didn't take a Lamarcus Aldridge off the dribble or anything, but the threat of it was what made what made his last three even possible with that jab step on the left wing. But like. Yeah, becoming less predictable on one end, being even more devastating than he already was. And the dude, there was there was almost no hiccups on him just starting to play. He just came in and, you know, wasn't maybe manhandling folks as much as he was in college, but, like, it was, like, a very small step down. Like, the dude's impact was tremendous. And, yeah, his potential is through the roof. I'm with you on that. It's crazy. Um, play was most likely to be win next season, and I guess – we already talked about with Drew Holiday, and we even put it onto a timetable. We would say, what, Drew Holiday and then J.J. Redick and basically every player over 30? Yeah, and I, and I also wrote down Derek Favors, you know, because if they re-sign him, I would anticipate it would just be a, a short-term deal, and then he might be ex- expiring money come the trade deadline. So, uh, yeah, I had Drew 1, J.J. Redick 2, and Derek Favors 3 as most likely. And, yeah, all the guys that don't fit their timetable that they could potentially get assets for. Yeah, with you on that. All right, player who folks are really sleeping on. Who do you have that you think, hey, you know, people got to keep more of an eye on this player on the Pelicans? Okay, so this is, I kind of cheated because he's not technically on the Pelicans yet, but uh, D.D. Silva. 
uh, a, a guy that they they drafted Silva with the sec a high second round pick last year in that package that they got from Atlanta for trading the fourth pick, and this guy is uh, is playing in the uh, uh, he's from Brazil he's playing uh, I believe um, uh, he's playing overseas and uh, he's a guy that I think has some pretty good two way potential he's about six four a guard. Decent strength, uh, you know. Seeing him in that summer league, he really impressed me with his defensive effort and uh, ability. Uh, Griffin has uh, has really raved about this kid. Uh, he, he's going to to play another year away from the Pelicans and and hopefully continue to develop playing in a professional league. And uh, you know maybe next year, as soon as next year, we might see this guy and and I think he'll surprise some people. I mean, that's that's a deep dive on a player that I hadn't even really heard of, aside from, like, looking at the cap, well, one of the older um, cap sheets when I was doing some research here. So, uh, credit to you, Garrett, for, for digging deep uh, and, and really show, highlighting the player. Not only are most people most likely sleeping on, but, like, I was definitely sleeping on. So, uh, here I go looking at that. Um, we'll go to the next one. Who's a um, no, 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 yes player? I... Actually, I'm just going to give you some context here. I just recorded a little bit ago my Brooklyn Nets um, uh, offseason outlook, and my no, 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 yes play was Torian Prince. Um, okay. Who's throwing his foot for the Pelicans? Um, the guy I picked was Lonzo. Okay. <laughs> That's a very real one, too. And, and, and really, it's just a lot of, like, his strengths are, are so strong and his weaknesses are so weak. Uh, you know, his uh, whenever he drives into the paint and puts up a layup, yeah, that's very much a no, no, no situation because I don't think it's going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then also he'll have games where, you know, you see that all-around play where he's a decent defender, decent uh, passer, decent rebounder, is uh, hitting threes, and you're like, yes, this guy is making a big impact. He's helping us win. So he, night to night, depending on if his three-point shot is going, depending on how much he is um, utilize, or he's uh, committed to going to the rim and, and trying to make a layup, uh, it, uh, it really differs night to night. And uh, he, he's a player that, that makes you scratch your head a little bit at times. But uh, hopefully for, for the Pelicans, uh, he's going to con- improve that consistency and and try to make those weaknesses a little less exploitable as uh, as he improves. Yeah, and I do trust uh, the coaching of, of Van Gundy to help along with that, but you're right. Just showing up some of the, the, the lesser um, lesser enjoyed parts of Lonzo's game, maybe becoming more of a confident shooter. I think he improved much off ball, but but you're right. The weaknesses do have to be short up a little bit, not only for his long-term future in New Orleans, but just in general as a, as a point guard that can fulfill some of the potential that was already brought up upon him. Um, let's kind of go to the top two guys that you want to go to when the game is on the line. I know I took Mr. Predictable, right? I took, I took, um, Brandon Ingram and, and Zion. I, I almost felt bad about Zion because I don't know if I, if I would trust giving the ball to Zion and saying, okay, go to work. I feel like he's still at this stage very much dependent on someone else to kind of open up some space for him. But those are the players I went to. And of course, Brandon Ingram, not only having done it this past year, 40 wounds already, but just being a guy that I would trust handing the rock to and say, okay, go get us something. Even if that is a, a contested mid-range too, because you have propensity for taking and making this. Yeah, I ended up going with uh, Kenrick Williams and Derek Favors. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, no. <laughs> 
no, I, I've got the same two guys. And uh, I think what's so fascinating, what's so great about that fit is you can put the ball in Ingram's hands and potentially isolate him on one side of the floor. Uh, he seems very comfortable isolating on, on the left side. And then you can have Zion start on the right side of the floor. And if the defense is paying too much attention to Ingram, you can have him cut. You can you can set a screen to have him moving towards the ball and catch it going to his left hand. They've got a lot of, uh, of different things. We saw, you know, Alvin Gentry, uh, despite uh, getting fired, he is a very good uh, innovative offensive mind, and and he ran some interesting sets that that uh, that utilized and and got Zion going to his strong hand, got him catching the ball already moving towards the hoop, and and that's really difficult to stop. So the fact that they've got two guys, and and one of which is really a a, a huge off ball threat in Zion, not only with that cutting uh, that I talked about, but also his offensive rebounding. I think they've those two guys are are clearly the two that down the stretch of games are uh, you know if New Orleans is going to be a good clutch team this year, they're going to have to come through. Yep, and it goes as far as those two go in that way. And I think we already talked about Zion's potential, but if he can be a guy like that, even like a guy that becomes like a Blake Griffin where you can kind of give the ball to and say, okay, post up, whatever the case may be, like you've reached another echelon as a player, a whole other level, um, a stratosphere of a player. So well, from that, uh-huh. and, and, and I like the fact that Zion doesn't necessarily have to be that to be successful. I think that's one of the things that uh, it is why I'm so high on him is that he doesn't have to have this through-the-roof usage percentage to score 25 points. That you know, is he true. can score 25 just through getting – you know, five to 10 on cuts, five to 10 on offensive rebounds, um, you know, five to 10 through like uh, actions where you have him getting, a, you know, coming off of a screen. And then, yeah, maybe five to 10 catching the ball and just isolating. But, yeah, I think that's what's so nice and, and why the fit with Ingram is so good is because I, I do think Ingram, you know, uh, is uh, is much more comfortable and effective when he has the ball in his hands whereas Zion can can still make such a big impact on the offensive end without, uh, you know, um, just throwing in the ball and saying, go get us a hoop. I'm with you on that. that. That's true. I mean, I guess I'm looking at what it could be with that, but the fact that you're right, without soaking up a whole bunch of usage, he can really make his mark. We saw that for most of the year already, um, it, whether it was offensive putbacks, you know, pick and rolls, like you're not having to dominate the ball in that way. Um, but yeah, that's something that his offensive potential, his potential as a player already is tantalizing, but that is one aspect that I am very much focusing on. Um, but then going down to the final category, the top two guys who go for a clutch defensive possession. And this one I thought was interesting. I actually went with the guards. I went with Lonzo and Josh Hart. And I like Brandon Ingram defensively. I did not even think about Zion or really anyone else on that end. But I feel like Josh Hart has done it before, and I like the fact that Lonzo has the the skill, the, the 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 acumen defensively, I think the strength to hold up, the speed. I like his attributes on that end. That when the game's on the line, I wouldn't mind having him on the guy going for the shot. Yeah. Now, now you're uh, answering these questions with the assumption that Drew Holiday is no longer going to be on the roster. Oh yes. Oh totally. Now, if, if I am, if I, if I'm doing it that way, then I. You know, let's say, okay, I'm going to throw this to you real quick before I get your two. Let's say Drew Holiday still is, right? I, I assume from the get that he was gone. But if he is, Drew Holiday takes up one spot. Between Hart and Lonzo, unless you have someone else you would nominate, who would you consider? Or who would you take, finally? 
Yeah, that's that's a really tough question because uh-huh. yeah, if I had to base it on consistency and what we saw last year, probably Hart. But yeah. if we had to base it more on potential and who I think maybe has a higher peak as a defender, especially with his uh, you know general basketball IQ, I would go Lonzo. So it, it's a it's a tricky question. But another guy that I think has to be in this conversation as well, especially if they re-sign him and he is healthy, is Derek Favors because mm-hmm. when when he's right, he's still one of the best defensive bigs in basketball. That's true. That's true. Someone understated on that end, but he would definitely uh, be a deterrent. I guess my thing is, and, and this is weird, because I guess the question when you're looking at is someone that you, you want to go to. So he would have to fit that because I'm like, oh, well, he wouldn't be going on switches. But then again, if you're going to go on switches and you're really nominating it to teams that have all world defenders or just guards and forwards. So, like, I'm totally with you on that. Having uh, Derek Favors is one. But, yeah. If Drew is still on the team, he most certainly is. And if not for me, then I'd have to go Alonzo and, and, and um, Josh Hart. But you had to give special consideration, at least in my opinion, um, to um, – uh, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. Mr. Favors. I didn't forget. I'm sure he's definitely on that list. So, whew, I'm, I'm going to tell you again, thank you for coming on and helping me here. Uh, I think the pain medication is setting in because I have lost the ability to speak for most of the last half hour. <laughs> <laughs> without the pain actually going away. But um, this was a deep dive. As always, every time I come on with Garrett, every time Garrett comes on here, we always go at least an hour and change easy. And this one's going to clock in about an hour and a half. Real good deep dive on the Pelicans. Garrett, do you have any last thoughts on the Pelicans and kind of where they're going and the moves that will start as soon as uh, next week? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be fascinating not only from a from a off-season perspective with uh, likely trades happening, uh, they, they could be a factor. Uh, well, they are going to be a factor in the draft. How much so, uh, we'll still, we still will uh, wait to see. But, yeah, the, their offseason's fascinating. I think, uh, you know, they're a team that, you know, going into last year, I was really excited to watch them play. But then as the year went on, I kind of went away from them just because, you know, you know me, Corbin. I typically with teams that don't show great defensive intensity, uh, they, uh, they aren't as fun for me to watch. So I'm hoping Stan Van Gundy coming in there, uh, gets them to to play a uh, you know a better basketball on on both ends of the floor and make them a more entertaining watch on a night to night basis. Make their games feel more like playoff intensity type games night in night out. I think will uh, will make them a lot more fun. And and obviously if we see more Zion than we saw last year, I think in total including the bubble we saw only 24 games of Zion. So mm-hmm. if, if if we get a lot more of that, that's also something that's incredibly exciting. And yeah, the, the future of this team is is very bright. And uh, you know that's before we talk about the stockpile of picks that Griffin has at his disposal. <laughs> it is very exciting, Garrett. Very exciting. I can't wait personally to hear your podcast when you guys go over the league pass teams because I want to hear your discussion on these Pelicans. But Garrett Bouguet, follow him on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Uh, host of Duncan Dynasty, which I'm happy to be a part of, SBC alum, basketball mastermind. We will have him back very, very soon, but definitely check him out there. Uh, Garrett, thank you again. Um, and then for myself, at Corbin NBA, check me out there. Uh, also remember, for the hoop ball, uh, big stuff we got coming up this upcoming year, the draft guy, the Brewski 150, all that good stuff. Make sure to follow Hoop Ball Fantasy on Twitter, at Hoop Ball Fantasy. Or go to hoop-ball.com and get on that email list, all right? Until then, I'm Frosty. Got Garrett over here, Frosty. Y'all take care. We'll talk to y'all real soon. Bye.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.